Um, this morning's reading comes from Zechariah 2, which can be found on page 669 of the Church Bibles. A man with a measuring line. When I looked up, and there before me was a man with a measuring line in his hand, I asked, Where are you going? He answered me, To measure Jerusalem, to find out how wide and how long it is. Then the angel who was speaking to me left. And another angel came to meet him and said to him, Run, tell that young man, Jerusalem will be a city without walls because of the great number of men and livestock in it. And I myself will be a wall of fire around it, declares the Lord. And I will be its glory within. Come, come, flee from the land of the north, declares the Lord. For I have scattered you to the four winds of heaven, declares the Lord. Come, O Zion, escape, you live in the daughter of Babylon. For this is what the Lord Almighty says. After he has honoured me and he has sent me against the nations that have plundered you, for whoever touches you touches the apple of his eye. I will surely raise my hand against them so that their slaves will plunder plunder them. Then you will know that the Lord Almighty has sent me. Shout and be glad, O daughter of Zion, for I am coming, and I will live among you, declares the Lord. Many nations will be joined with the Lord in that day, and will become my people. I will live among you, and you will know that the Lord Almighty has sent me to you. The Lord will inherit Judah as his portion in the Holy Land, and it will again choose Jerusalem. Be still before the Lord, all mankind, because he has roused himself from his holy dwelling. Morning, everybody. Nice to see you all. Uh, it'd be good to keep uh, your Bible open at uh, that part in the Bible, Zechariah. Uh, if you're coming new to Zechariah, uh, you're probably thinking, what the heck is all that about? Uh, don't worry, we'll uh, get take a closer look at that and see how it fits into the bigger story in the Bible in a minute uh, and how uh, God might be speaking to us through those words even today. I'll, uh, I'll pray and ask God to help us. Gracious Father, thank you for the Bible. Thank you particularly for the prophet Zechariah and for the visions and words that you gave him those many years ago for your ancient people. We thank you that you are a Lord, the God who speaks uh, even today and that those words are still speaking and ask that you would help us to be attentive to what you were saying, not only back then, but what you're saying now uh, to us and that we might... Uh, treasure those words, take them to heart, uh, and enjoy knowing you through your uh, words and revelation to us. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, we're going to start off with a, uh, a bit of a quiz. All right, I want you to pick the city if you can. All right, uh, can anyone, everyone, see that? What city is that? Uh, Very good. Well done. Who? How did you know? Yeah, yeah, good guess. All right, how about this one? London, yeah, nice. How about that one? Athens, yep, very good. This one? Ah, oh, you guys are all over this. Uh, okay, how about this one? I had to pick that one. Uh, all right. Now, this might be a little bit more difficult. Uh, how about this one? No. That's the Red Fort. Might give you a bit of an idea. Delhi. 
Okay, so that's Delhi. Uh, how about this one? No. Beijing. Very, very good. Yeah, that's called the Pants Building. <laughs> yeah. uh, okay, how about this one? Yeah, it's, it's at night, so you can be forgiven for not quite getting it. Uh, in the in the middle there is a black box. Mecca. Yeah, it's Mecca. Now, I don't know uh, if you have uh, thought much about what actually makes up a city. Is it its monuments? Uh, you know, like the pants building. Um, not that you want to be known as a city for a pants building, but anyway. Uh, the word city actually comes from the word civitas. It's the Latin word, civitas. Uh, it means citizen. And so at core, a city it has to do with its citizens. Uh, in the Marvel film, Thor Ragnarok, uh, as the exiled citizens of Asgard watch on while their city gets destroyed by an angry god, uh, one of the characters says, don't worry, Asgard is not a place. It's a people, which seems kind of right, uh, except it is about a people that are together in a place, right? That's what makes a city. And so it's worth asking which people and which place do we identify the most with? Which city would you say you're in? Because the city that gets the most attention uh, in the Bible is, guess which city? Jerusalem, right? Which is definitely a place. It's a place that God historically chose to dwell, a place not surprisingly the Israelites came to pin their hopes on. They thought that it would never fall because it was God's city. But over hundreds of years, the Israelites tested God's patience. They disobeyed his laws. They went after other gods. They relied on the nations around about them more than on God. Uh, The kings after King David were mostly trash. Uh, but even the few good ones do, couldn't make up for all the bad the bad ones did. Uh, and so God gives up on Jerusalem. The uh, prophet Ezekiel has a vision uh, of God's glory as a cloud up and leaving the temple in Jerusalem and leaving the city and going away. And with that, in 587 BC, God gives the city over to the Babylonians. They siege Jerusalem for over a year. They starve the residents to death. And then they raise the city walls and temple to the ground. They exile the citizens to Babylon. But despite this, despite God abandoning Jerusalem and its people, he promises through another prophet, through the prophet Jeremiah, uh, he says this. This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I'll come to you and fulfill my, my good promise to bring you back to this place. See, God, he still has an eye for Jerusalem to restore its fortunes uh, so that his people might dwell there again with him and be prosperous. And to that end, he sees the Persians defeat Babylon and the Persian king, Cyrus, followed by the the following kings, King Darius, uh, they encourage the Israelites to actually, who were in exile, to return to the land of Judah, to return to the rubble of Jerusalem and to rebuild it which some do, but it's slow work. And that, that is about the time when Zechariah, the prophet Zechariah, rocks up. And God gives him a bunch of visions. Uh, The 70 promised years, they're coming up, and while God's good to keep his promises to restore them, the Israelites, he's not sure that the Israelites really understand what that means. Now, hopefully, uh, you would have got the next instalment of uh, cards 
that are running through the uh, Zechariah series that we're doing. Uh, so I'm going to be referring to them. Uh, hopefully they will be an aid to you uh, in the coming days also as you keep uh, Zechariah in mind. Anyway, so we're up to the yellow card. But uh, firstly, Zechariah starts his ministry saying, uh, the Lord return, the Lord says this to his people, return to me and I'll return to you. And then God gives Zechariah the first of his visions uh, of horsemen secretly going out over the planet like spies, God's undercover agents, you know, scoping out what's going on in the world, showing us that, you know, that God sees it all, that there's nothing on this planet that he doesn't see, particularly what's done to his special people, the Israelites, and who's doing it, and how they are, they've abused them. And as we saw last week, God tells Zechariah he's going to restore his people. He's going to bring them back to the land, you know, build up Jerusalem, uh, make the Israelites prosper in the land, in the land, and then, as we looked at last week, God shifts his vision uh, to focus back on the nations. So that's the next card. That, uh, hopefully you have all got one. If you haven't got a copy of them, please pick one up uh, as you leave. God shifts his vision to focus back on the nations. And this is representative of those, to those beastly powers, seen and unseen in the world, who've mistreated his people, uh, pictured as bullhorns, you know, like, like on a helmet. Uh, but they'll be terrified and brought down by craftsmen, like Babylon was brought down by Persia. But with this, God then lifts Zechariah's vision. He lifts him to see his plans for Jerusalem, which is what chapter 2, what we just read, is all about. And we'll see there, firstly, that Jerusalem is God's glorious and safe city. It's the city of God. Secondly, that his people, they need to get out of the of Babylon, the city of sin. And finally, uh, they need to rejoice in God's city because God dwells there with his people. So, that's where we go. First up, the glory and safety of the city of God. As Zechariah's vision looks to Jerusalem again. We read it earlier, let's uh, read it again. Verse 1. Then I looked up in his vision... God had given Zechariah, and there before me was a man with a measuring line in his hand. I asked, where are you going? He answered me to measure Jerusalem, to find out how wide and how long it is. Well, other than uh, the angel who's been talking to Zechariah so far in his visions, uh, he sees another one, another angel. And and this one has got something like a plumb line, and Jeff uh, has kindly given me a plumb line. Anyone seen a plumb line before? I've never held one until this morning. It's super heavy. It's cool though, right? Look at that. Thanks, Jeff. You're awesome. Anyway, so it's probably something like that uh, that uh, Zechariah is seeing in the hands of this uh, angel measuring out an old school measuring measurement tool, uh, measuring out Jerusalem. Uh, a little bit like, I imagine, uh, when the Israelites first came into the promised land and each tribe was given a certain amount of the land by God and when they measured it out, it was to show that it was rightly theirs. And that, that's what's going on with here, with this angel. He's measuring out Jerusalem to show what's rightfully God's. Jerusalem is God's city. Of all the things he owns, Jerusalem is particularly marked out as as especially his. It's a little bit like, uh, you know, when a chocolate cake has been on offer, right? Uh, you've been promised a slice, and so you take the slice. What do you do with the slice? You cover it in cling wrap and you put your name on it and you put it in the fridge. You set it apart. You mark it as yours. That's mine. So you can enjoy it later. 
By getting the measure of Jerusalem, God's marking it out as his. It's his particular special piece of chocolate cake. And then the uh, angel in Zechariah's vision goes on to reveal what God's got planned for this Jerusalem, this special Jerusalem of his. So, uh, verse 3, we read, uh, While the angel who was speaking to me was leaving, another angel came to him to meet him and said, said to him, Run, tell that young man, Jerusalem will be a city without walls because of the great number of people and animals in it. And I myself will be a wall of fire around it, declares the Lord, and I will be its glory within. Now, I'm not sure if you've actually thought about what constitutes a city. But in Zechariah's day, a big part of what made up a city was some kind of fortification or a wall. Uh, Classic ancient cities had walls, so like the ancient city of Baghdad, amazing achievement, Uh, or the city of Nineveh, the ancient city of Nineveh. Uh, and Babylon, similarly, had walls that are still uh, some extent. And uh, Jerusalem, of course. Jerusalem, that's today, still has some of its walls. Uh, and that's probably what it looked like when it was still standing with all its walls. Uh, a wall made for safety and stability. So a wall for a city, it marked a, a place for dense living arrangements. It marked out a place where the rule of law could be developed. It marked out a place of refuge for minority groups and individuals. And yet in Zechariah's day, even though the Israelites, uh, they've been able to go back to the land and start rebuilding Jerusalem, there's no city walls yet. There's no walls. Uh, Which would have been a little bit exposed. You would have felt like things weren't actually safe and stable. Without a wall, it doesn't feel like a city should feel. But God says it will be. It will be a proper city. Don't worry about it. Because not only will it be full of dense living arrangements uh, you know, and the diversity that comes along with a great number of people and animals all living close together, it'll be the best city because it'll have something better than walls, better than uh, the safety and stabilities that, that walls promise. It'll have God himself. Like a wall of fire. Around it, he says, he will be Jerusalem's safety and stability, guarding and protecting her and its citizens, guarding and protecting them from those on the outside. But by doing that, by being powerfully present with her on the inside, he says, I will be its glory within. Now, the glory of a city, uh, it's often uh, in its landmarks or architectural wonders, right? Yeah. For Sydney, it's the Harbour Bridge. And the Opera House, uh, for Gosford, it's the abandoned building with a catchy slogan. Uh, joking. Uh, for Paris, what is it? It's the Eiffel Tower and the Louvre. Uh, the, for Mecca, it's the Kaaba, that black, that black box. For New York, it's the Twin Towers, or now the One, ta- one World Trade Centre. For Moscow, it's St. Basil's Cathedral. For Rome, it's the Colosseum and the, Pal- uh, <coughs> and the Pantheon. For Athens, it's the Parthenon. And for Jerusalem, what is it? It's the temple. The temple was the architectural, the glory of Jerusalem. Uh, First built by Solomon, King Solomon, about a thousand years before Jesus. Then rebuilt in Zechariah's day. And on both of those occasions... Upon the dedication of the temple, both those times, something incredible happened, something miraculous. 
God's glory comes and settles in the form of a cloud in the temple. And so the temple then, in Jerusalem, comes to represent represent the true glory of the city of God uh, himself, of that city, because it's it's God himself is dwelling there, which is why it's so intriguing and so tragic that some 500 years or so later, when God comes in the flesh as the man Jesus Christ, he comes to Jerusalem, right? He goes into the temple and no one recognises him. The glory of Jerusalem is standing right there in their midst and rather than celebrate him, they question him. And after he drives out a bunch of merchants from the temple courts because they're stopping people from doing what they were meant to be doing in the temple, praying, the religious authorities, they have a go at Jesus saying this, What sign can you show us to prove your authority to do all this? Jesus answered them, Destroy this temple and I will raise it again in three days. They replied, it's taken 46 years to build this temple and you're going to raise it in three days? But the temple he'd spoken of was his body. Although the uh, temple was completed in Zechariah's day, in Jesus' day, some 500 years later, King Herod, uh, a puppet of the Roman Empire in Jerusalem, he'd undertaken a massive project of expanding the temple grounds and rebuilding the temple, making it bigger and better, uh, and, and the temple that Jesus visits, in which the Jews say that has taken 46 years to build, is that temple, is the temple that King Herod is renovating. And incidentally, it, it gets destroyed. It, like it, The renovations are finished, uh, I think, about six, uh, 63 AD, and then the Romans come seven years later and destroy it and wipe it off the face of the earth and has never been rebuilt. But Jesus, while he was there, and while the temple was still standing, he says something staggering. He says, he refers to himself as the temple, specifically to his body. He says his body is the place where God really dwells. He is the glory of Jerusalem. And so the promise of God through Zechariah that he would dwell with his people finds its true fulfilment, not in a building, but in Jesus. Uh, such that the New Testament and the Bible can talk about those who are with Jesus, who trust in him, who rely on him for their salvation. They're said to be part of the new heavenly Jerusalem. As the Apostle Paul says to believers in uh, Jesus, the Jerusalem that is above, that is in heaven, is free. She is our mother. Indeed, Jesus himself says to those who know him and trust him that they're, they're a city on a hill. You're a light of the world, he says, a city on a hill cannot be hidden. Those who know Jesus and trust him together, they're the new Jerusalem. They're the city of God. They're a city on a hill who are to shine the truth of Jesus wherever they are, whatever earthly city they might be in. And the light that they're to shine, it's not their own. It's God's light who lives with them and in them through faith in Jesus. He is their glory. He's their safety. He's their stability, walled in together by him and together full of his glory. In Jesus, they're the new Jerusalem. In Jesus, they're the city of God. But the glory of this city, it's something of a hidden glory at the moment, isn't it? We know that God is with us. We know his forgiveness. We have the Holy Spirit dwelling in us, but there is there is more to come. Our citizenship might be in heaven, 
the, the new Jerusalem might be our true home, but we're still on this earth, exiled, as it were, in the cities of this world, like the Israelites were in Zechariah's day. So what do we, what do, we do? Uh, what, what do God's people do while they wait for the full glory of being at home with God? Well, that brings us to our next point. Get out of the city of sin. And to the next part of Zechariah's vision, where God tells his people to flee the city of Babylon. We read verse 6, Come, come, flee from the land of the north, declares the Lord, for I have scattered you to the four winds of heaven, declares the Lord. Come, Zion, escape, you who live in daughter Babylon. For this is what the Lord Almighty says. After the glorious one has sent me against the nations that you have plundered, for whoever touches you touches the apple of his eye, I will surely raise my hand against them so that their slaves will plunder them. See, in Zechariah's day, clearly there were some Israelites who hadn't gone back to the promised land. They were still in the places that God had scattered them. They could have gone back. They could have gone back to Jerusalem. They were free to go go back, but for whatever reason, they'd stayed. They'd stayed in daughter Babylon, which is another way of talking about the city of Babylon, right? And God's saying to his ancient people, get out of there. There's disaster coming on that city because of how the Babylonians treated his people, how they destroyed the temple and Jerusalem and its citizens, the apple of his eye, he called his ancient people. They're precious to him, like an eyeball is precious uh, to us. And you don't smack God in the eye and think you're going to get away with it. And so because of this, God's going to take the city of Babylon down. Just like all nations and powers that work in the world who've mistreated his people, he's going to take them down which is the sense of the four winds of heaven there, as in the four points of a compass. It's a reference to God's people the world over who are living in this, the cities of this world, cities and societies and cultures that oppose God and hate his people in one way or another, represented here in Zechariah by the city of Babylon. A representation the Bible kind of carries over and tells how that city will end up at, in the end. In another vision that God gave the Apostle John in the book of Revelation, uh, we read this. After this, I saw, John saw from God, another angel coming down from heaven in his vision. He had great authority and the earth was illuminated by his splendor. With a mighty voice, he shouted, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the Great. And then I heard another voice from heaven say, Come out of her, my people, so that you will not share in her sins so that you won't receive any of her plagues. Just like to the ancient Israelites back then in Zechariah's day, God is still calling people now. Get out of the city of Babylon. Flee. Escape. Escape the coming judgment. One day Jesus will return, revealed from heaven in blazing fire with his powerful angels to judge the whole world. You don't want to be found living it up in Babylon, in that city of sin, caring little of Jesus and his people, because that day will be utter destruction. You may have heard of the uh, Hanging Gardens of Babylon. Heard of that? It's one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. Some think it may have been built near present-day Hilar, Babel, uh, Babel province in Iraq, where Babylon used to be. No one knows for sure. Uh, they're one of the, only one of the, the only one of the seven wonders of which a location hasn't been established, definitively established. They don't know where they were. No definitive 
archaeological evidence has been found in Babylon. And the ancient ruins themselves of Babylon, they're a wasteland. Babylon, even its glory in the hanging gardens, has been wiped out. And this is what will happen to all cities, nations, empires, societies, cultures that are in opposition to God. On the day Jesus returns, they will be completely wiped out. Those things that were in them, that glittered with so much promise, they'll come to nothing. And all those who look to them for the good life, they'll suffer terrible and eternal loss. But God doesn't want this for anyone, which is why he calls everyone now to escape, to get out, to flee the coming destruction, to, to get out of Babylon, to not be distracted by the tinsel of life without God in it, to not, to not be enraptured by the hanging gardens of this world, the good life that education promises or money, or pleasure, or travel, or family, or property, or a good job, or romance, or health, to not love those things more than God, to flee from making those things the first desire of your heart, to flee from getting sucked into any society or community or group that makes these things their first love, to flee from these, and to flee to Jesus, and to the city of God, his people, the new Jerusalem, which, unlike the city of Babylon, promises everlasting joy, Which brings us to our final point. Joy in the city of God. Which God goes on in Zechariah's vision to command his people to do, to have joy, to rejoice. Verse 10, we read, Shout and be glad, daughter Zion, for I am coming and I will live among you, declares the Lord. Many nations will be joined with the Lord in that day and will become my people. I will live among you and you will know that the Lord Almighty has sent me to you. The Lord will inherit Judah as his portion in the Holy Land and will again choose Jerusalem. Be still before the Lord, all mankind, because he has roused himself from his holy dwelling. Daughter Zion, well, that's all those who are God's people, you know, who are citizens of Jerusalem. Citizens, though, who are not only Israelites, but people of all nations. Jews and Gentiles who become the people of God as they join themselves to God and he to them, he to them uh, when he dwells with them on that day. That day. But when is that day? Well, surely it's as God comes to his people as the man Jesus Christ and dies on a cross not just to make things right between God and his ancient people, the Israelites, but to make things right between God and all people. Because the Bible tells us Jesus dies for the sins, not just of the Jews, he dies for the sins of the whole world. So that day is now. It's been every day since Jesus rose from the dead to demonstrate his death was victorious over sin and brokenness and guilt and shame. Every day since the day that Jesus went back to God the Father in heaven and intercedes before him for us, pleading the merits of his sacrifice for all who'd look on him, for all who'd rely on him for forgiveness from God. It's been every day since Jesus poured out the Holy Spirit on all those who believed in him with the promise that God the Holy Spirit would dwell with us and remarkably in us. That day is today. As millions the world over look to Jesus the glory of God, 
trust him and have God himself take up residence in their heart. And every day that this is the case, which it will be now and forever for all those who are trusting in Jesus, is a day that we should be shouting about and be exceedingly glad about. As our great and loving God has commanded us, commanded his people back in Zechariah's day, and as he commands us, his people now. Or at least it should be. In his book, uh, God is the Gospel, John Piper, he asks the provocative question, would you be happy in heaven if Christ were not there? If you could have heaven, with no sickness, with all the friends you ever had on earth, all the food you ever liked, all the leisure activities you ever enjoyed, and all the natural beauties you ever saw, all the physical pleasures you ever tasted, no human conflict or any natural disasters, could you be satisfied with heaven if Christ was not there? Because the promise of the new Jerusalem, the glory and the goodness of the new Jerusalem, of being in the city of God, is God himself, is the presence of God himself, which is actually the true cause for joy. Shout and be glad, daughter Zion, for I am coming and I will live among you. Yeah, to live in the city of God is to savour God. It's to savour knowing God in the face of Jesus. It's to want to know God more and more in the face of Jesus. It's to enjoy the presence and the power and the glory of God in the face of Jesus with his people. This is a key part of what makes up a city, of what makes up the city of God, a community of people who want to know God more and more in and through Jesus and who strive to know him and enjoy him together as we sing to him and about him together, study the Bible together, pray together, and work to shine his light into the world together. If you don't want this, if you don't want to be with God's people in this, then you don't want heaven. And it might be worth thinking about which city you're actually a citizen of. A city, the city of God, the new Jerusalem, full of life and eternal joy, or the citizen of Babylon, destined for destruction and eternal misery. God wants us in his city. So let's flee Babylon, flee its unbelief and its godless ways, and instead rejoice that God is with us, profoundly with us, now and forever, in Jesus and I'm going to pray that, that would be the case for us. Almighty God and gracious Father, we thank you for your keen desire to have your people with you in your city, to be your city as you dwell with them and in them. We thank you that you made this promise many, many years ago through the prophet Zechariah focusing in on Jerusalem at the time, but that we see this fulfilled profoundly in Jesus and that all who trust in him are now numbered amongst your people, citizens of heaven, citizens of the city of God. Please help us to be those citizens, 
to savour and enjoy what makes us the city of God. You, your goodness, your greatness, your glory in and through Jesus, that we might savour and know and want to know him more and more together. Please help us to flee from the city of Babylon, to flee from those things that would tie us down, that would steal our first love away, that would distract us from holding Jesus as the most important thing in our hearts. May you be with all those, perhaps even this morning, who are currently citizens of Babylon, who don't know you, Please be kind to them. May they hear your call to flee, to flee into your arms and to join with your people by trusting in Jesus and becoming a part of the city of God. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.